1: Hey, everybody, it's Drags once again, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome in another Rob. This time, it's one of my very, very favorites in the business, and one of the guys I have to thank for a team of my, maybe I shouldn't say youth, but younger days, that team winning it all, Rob Dibble. Rob was one of the nasty boys of the 1990 wire-to-wire Cincinnati Reds, of course. He was the 1990 NLCS MVP against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I was there, Rob, uh, for game six when uh, Carmelo Martinez gave me a heart attack uh, on a drive off Randy Myers. You remember that?
0: Well, nice to be with you, Trags. And yes, I was warming up in the bullpen. And at the time, probably Carmelo, and we were teammates in Puerto Rico, so I knew him very well. um, Probably 0 for 12 with, you know, 10 strikeouts. And I'm sitting there in the bullpen and Lou leaves Randy in to face him. And I'm like, do not throw him fastballs away. He <laughs> loves to open up and drive the ball the other way. Randy was uh, notorious for throwing 95 on the black away from those righties and stuff. And, um, man, Carmelo wailed on that ball. And, thankfully, <laughs> Glenn Bragg got back on it, made the catch, and, and the rest is history. But, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, that's – you live by that outside sometimes. You die by it. And Randy – you know, made a very good living being out there. And it's still something that, uh, you know, it's it's one of the memories that people will talk about us winning the World Series. We had to get through the, the the Pirates. They were as good or better a team than us. And if they beat us, I have no doubt they would have beat Oakland. No doubt in my mind. I think they would have done the same damage to Oakland that we did to them because they had team speed. They had great defense. They had a great rotation uh Doug Drabeck won the Cy Young that year in the National League. He won and they're game both five as strong as us. So yep. uh every out, every pitch was like matched equally by Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah he uh Doug Drabeck won game five of that uh series in Pittsburgh to force the game six uh and oh, I was happy
0: p- to great stuff
1: yes he, I was happy about that because I was that meant my ticket to uh game six would be um <laughs> Used. I watched that game, game six at Riverfront, Rob, uh, in the last row of the red seats, uh, l- literally the very last row of the stadium, but I was happy to be there, and I want to get, uh, before we reminisce more about the Cincinnati Reds, uh, I want to, uh, first of all, tell where people can, uh, tell people where they can follow you on Twitter, that would be Uh, at Rob Dibble 49, at Rob Dibble 49. And also a shout out to your program. You're doing great things in Hartford, my man. You're the best listened to sports talk show in Connecticut on 97.9 ESPN in Hartford. You're loving that, huh?
0: Yeah, it's fun. I mean, my dad was a newsman uh, for 50 years in Connecticut. And his last 30 were in Hartford with WDRC, then WTIC. And, you know, so I'm just kind of keeping the Dibble name relevant in, uh, you know, Hartford. And so it's, it's been fun. I moved back here about eight years ago. I've been on the air seven years um, this May. And the, the fans and the listeners are great. We have uh, another station down in New Haven. We do great in Southern Massachusetts and Springfield. We're not even, you know, literally on there, but we, we rate in their book every month. And so we've, we've got listeners from Southern mass all the way to New York. And it's, you know, you know, we play Yankee games, giant games. We play, uh, you know, the ESPN, the what West, the Westwood one, because I heart media, we don't have to just, you know, do ESPN or Fox or we could do everything. And that's, right. that's why it's so much fun is I can get you on my show. Uh, I can get, uh, you, you know, charles davis on my show from cbs i could get on you know tim brando from fox and and so you know when i was either working for espn or fox your bosses won't let you do that you can't play you know all around in 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 the sandbox so to speak so it's been a pleasure to do it and uh, as long as people keep listening i'll keep doing it
1: well that's a great segue right dibs uh what happened over the weekend? I got to tell you, I've been impressed with the job Alex Cora has done with the Red Sox. I didn't see them jumping out of the gate 36 and 23. You know, they bounced back. They lost the first three in Houston. They win the final game uh, down in Houston and then come into New York and sweep the Yankees. Kind of a controversial game on Sunday night. But uh, the Red Sox did all the right things over the weekend. And they're only a game back of Tampa Bay in the AL East. You know, a lot of people thought this was going to be a four-team race. I think it's going to be a two-team race in the
0: AL East. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I like Tampa, but I also like Toronto and George is about ready to come back Their Their pitching is solid. So I think that'll that'll keep them around 90 to 95 wins. You really do. Um, you really no. Do. Yeah. You know, Cal, you know, Cora's done a great job. Give Bloom a lot of credit. Um, some, of, some of these pieces that he put in there late, like Renfro has been fantastic. Great outfielder, right out of my um, getting getting assists from right field. Um, but their, their rotation is solid. Um, I don't know if sale will get back. I don't think that, that you can count on him. So you may have to do something at the trade deadline, but their bullpen has been solid. They're right up there. Top five in pitching. Uh, I know they're in the top 10 in, in offense, you know, and, and, and because no one really cares that much about the batting average overall for teams um, with runners in scoring position, they do a very nice job. They put the ball in play. They put pressure on the defense. And that's where the Yankees are getting killed. I mean, it's bad enough that like four guys in your lineup are hitting under 200, but every time there's a guy in scoring position, let's say in extra innings, like last night, they can't move a guy to third. They can't bunt. They can't hit a ground ball to the right side. They can't hit a fly ball to the outfield. To me, it's basic stuff that I I know you love analytics and I know you love listening to people that uh, may not have played at the highest level, but at, at some point, you have to get back to, we got to move this guy over and get him in. We, we got to steal a base here and there. I think they're the worst uh, team at base stealing in the American league. So, you know, Alex Cora's got team speed. He's got team defense. He's got pitching. He's got offense. And, uh, and he's got guys that are going to come up from the minor leagues that are very talented. You know, I, I, you know, follow what they're doing in Worcester um, follow what they're doing in double a. And so, cause they play against the Hartford yard goats, in Hartford, their, their team that's in uh, Maine. So um, I I think that they're built for the future. I I think they've done a nice job. Yeah. You don't want to lose Mookie Betts, um, but Verdugo has done a great job. And, you know, uh, this, you know, um, Vasquez has done a great job behind the plate, you know, and, and so every, every position where you look at um, where you need a specialty guy to come through for you. That's what the Red Sox have done very well.
1: So I'm glad you brought that up because I have always felt this, Dibs, when your best players are your best players, and you know right. where, where I'm going with this, you're going to be in good, great shape. And the right. top four hitters, Devers, Martinez, Bogarts, and Verdugo, are all having very good years. And yes. I think Bogarts right now, Look, uh, Shea Otani is, he's the MVP in the American League right now. right? Right. I mean, no arguments about that. But if you take a look at what Xander Bogarts has done, not only offensively, but uh, Rob Bradford, of uh, WEI.com brought this up last week. He's turned into arguably the best defensive shortstop uh, in the game and certainly in the discussion and in the American League. But his offensive numbers, uh, 10 home runs, he's driven in 36, he's hitting 318, he's, uh, his OPS is above 900. Those are tremendous. Uh, JD is uh, 12 bombs, 39 RBIs. And how about Rafael Devers? 15 homers, 48 RBIs, a 275 average. He's also right there, I think, an MVP consideration. But my point is, those four, and Hunter uh, Alex Verdugo is hitting 288. Those four players have really carried the Red Sox early in this
0: year. Oh, absolutely. And listen, Kiki Hernandez is going to hit. Um, Renfro is going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to drive in runs and play great defense. Um, yeah, you miss Bradley in center field, um, Benintendi and Betts. I mean, y- you're going to miss those guys, but you know, big leaguers find a way and you can contribute in other ways. If, if you're not making a gold glove play, maybe you score the winning run. And, and that's what I see when I look around at, at their talent. They also have guys, you know, Marwin Gonzalez, guys like that, that have played, they've been on championship teams. They know what it takes. So I might be having a bad year with my average. I'll make a play in the field. I'll I'll do what's necessary to help the team win, and that's that's how you win championships. You know, we didn't. You know, I look back and and I was shocked to find out we made like 102 errors in 90. You know, I felt like we were really? a better defense team. Yeah, I I you know occasionally I'll go back and look at some of the numbers when I'm making arguments for today's teams uh, not playing well defensively. And I'll be like, oh well, geez, we actually made. lot of errors and so um you can you can make errors you can make mistakes but if you can minimize the damage meaning as you get later into games and it's a one-run game up or down if your bullpen can give you an opportunity to win with today's rules if you tie the game you, you and you've got an opportunity to win every tie game if you can just do the little things and that's that's where a team comes in unselfishness uh, you know, it doesn't matter if Matt Barnes is coming in in the seventh or the ninth inning to get the save. That shouldn't matter to them as long as you get a win, as long as you keep winning games. And whoever's starting the game, hey, you might not get the win, but he gets seven innings. And he gives you an opportunity to win. You, you've got the bats to come back and win game. That's going to get you to 95 or 100 wins. And then you worry about the postseason when you get there. So I, I think the Red Sox are built for the long haul. I always, Mike, when I look at teams, I'm like, are you built for the regular season and the postseason, or are you just like a good regular season team that's going to win and get crushed in the postseason? The postseason comes down to the pitching and defense. That's right. Heim Bloom has to get the okay if he needs to add a bat off the bench, if he needs to add a, an arm in the bullpen because maybe they're run down uh, by the end of September. If he needs a guy in the rotation that's a rental just to win a championship, you might have to do that. But all, all of those things, if you're winning you know, and they're already 55, 58 games into the season, you know, what kind of team you have now, you know, 50 games in the GMs that I've, I've interviewed over the last 20 plus years, that's when they know if we're buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. So right now you're going to, you're going to have to look to buy somebody, meaning, you know, trade for somebody. And they certainly have the parts to do that.
1: So do you believe who, first of all, let me ask you, who do you think the Red Sox ace is right now? Got to win one game. game uh, I seven. mean,
0: between Eovaldi and, and you know, it's I, I would have said when the season started, Rodriguez. But honestly, the way Garrett Richards has pitched and Eovaldi has pitched those guys right now in game one in the postseason, I give them the ball. But we're a long way from there. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think they've got a lot of guys that could start that game. I'd, I'd much rather have it be like, listen, Granky. I know the Astros probably wouldn't want to trade him to the Red Sox. But no. that's the kind of guy that he you, you're going to hand him the ball four or five times in the postseason, maybe six, and and try to get a world championship out of those guys. That's where we are as a game. You know, Astros don't win a few years ago if you don't have Burlander, you know, and, and you need guys like a Scherzer. You need guys like a Trevor Bauer that'll take the ball and they know what they're the, like. Garrett Cole, he might be just a waste for the Yankees if they don't make the postseason. It's not about paying him 35 million dollars for 20 wins during the season you're paying that guy 35 million dollars to make the start in game one of the postseason
1: what do you think of jacob Degrom?
0: i think he's special i i honestly i've never seen in my lifetime i i, I saw video of bob gibson um oh. sandy koufax steve carlton guys like that that just are so dominant that it's it's some guys are, are two feet from even making contact, you know, and, and he, when he's moving the ball in and out, up and down, um, you know, he's like, he's like J.R. Richard. He's, he's like Nolan Ryan kind of stuff, except I think it's a little bit better because he's more pinpoint and he doesn't walk a lot of guys. So, you know, occasionally somebody squares one up on him. Big deal. He throws 100 miles an hour. But for the most part, you're only going to get about two to four solid hit balls off of the Grama start and That's i i just think real. it's incredible i think he's absolutely incredible
1: well what what's amazing to me and i i remember pedro 2000 very very well i'll cover yep. the red sox day in and day out back then and uh and i thought that was the best year i ever saw but yeah you know and a friend of mine a met fan friend of mine down along uh, new jersey told me that um we're a long way from the end of the year and comparing to Grom from Pedro and he's right. But at five and two, I can't believe he has two losses, but five and two 0.62 ERA. His whip is 0.57. He's putting up numbers that if you project it across the course of the season, uh, he's going to give up. Probably uh, he's given up, I think, uh, let's see. He's given up uh, four earned runs in nine starts. Four earned runs and nine starts, Dibs.
0: That's nuts. I mean, and and Pedro, obviously, Pedro's one of the, the few pitchers that being 5'10, I mean, we're talking about like a six foot five, six foot six guy compared to like five ten, hundred and seventy-five pounds. Pedro, pound for pound, greatest pitcher I've ever seen. You God, know, I uh, I still uh, Wagner, that. another guy that threw a hundred but didn't start games. Um and Pedro had the best changeup. He was like Mario Soto changeup. Yep. He had he had the most ridiculous changeup I've ever seen. Um, so that's that's kind of a different conversation. But yeah, I mean, Degrom has struck out like fifty percent of the batters he's faced. Um, I always look at even besides ERA, look at his hits to innings pitched. Yep. Anything that is like you know, fifty less hits than innings pitched at the end of the season for a starter is incredible. He's on pace to be like over a hundred. Hits less than say 220, he might allow 100 hits this year. That's just sick. That that 20. is, you know. So not it, to it, interrupt it, you, Dave. It's crazy.
1: 25 hits over 58 innings. That's what he's allowed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, he, he's going to 200 innings, 220, and have give up 100 hits. That's nuts. That's like a that's like a 120 batting average. I guess. I mean, you're talking ridiculous Bob Gibson numbers. And, and the thing is what stops him is, is the analytics department. He's not going to win enough games, you know, to, to, you know, I, look at like 22 to 22 and three kind of records because they don't let him stay in the game. And and the bullpen will either tie a ball game and and cost him wins because he's only getting 21 outs. They only allow him that much.
1: You were a believer. So Maybe you look at it differently, but if you were a starter and you were getting pulled from these games and your offense wasn't always, many times, not supporting you, wouldn't you want to stay in the game a little bit longer? You know, try to convince the manager, even though convincing Lou was, I'm sure, hard to do, but convince <laughs> the manager, let me stay in. Come on, I deserve
0: this. Well, and remember, I was a reliever and I know how good I was, or Randy or Norm but we were only there in case the guy ran out of gas or, or started to get knocked around. I mean, you use, it's the eyeball test. Okay. They're starting to hit some balls to the warning track. You might want to, you know, start thinking about, you know, is his velocity going down? Is the location waning a little bit? Should we pull him out of the game? That that's what I was there for. That's I started my first two years in the minor leagues. I wasn't going to go deep into games. I, I threw too many pitches as a starter, but as a reliever, I could come in and, you know, attack and and be in and out in two innings. So that's what our role should be. Your role as the best pitcher on your team and best asset on your team in giving you a chance to win a game is leave him in as long as possible. Why would I pull Jacob DeGrom and put in the fifth best guy out of the bullpen? That makes no sense. What about the seventh or eighth? Now you have nine guys in the bullpen, Mike. So you're going to take out your best pitcher And I'll even say for the Yankees or anybody else, you're going to take out Garrett Cole. You're you're going to take out, you know, anybody like Max Scherzer and put in some fifth reliever. That makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. If that guy could get me one more out or get me one more inning and get me closer to win. And especially listen, and I don't like to bring up guys contracts, but whether it's the Grom getting 150 million or, or, you know, Scherzer getting 207 or even now, you know, guy getting 300 million. He's set for life. He's not thinking about is my arm going to last 20 more years, his money's set that's guaranteed concrete. So let the guy pitch, let him try to win as many games as he can for you. You know, I would overwork these guys. If I'm the general manager, my job depends on you. This is like college, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna work these guys to death. That's why I always tell parents: don't send your kid to college. You're trying to keep that that coach's job in the in the major yep. leagues. You know, if you want to keep managing, you got to win. If you want to keep being a general manager, you got to win. Why do you keep pulling guys out in the sixth or seventh inning? And now you got to get the final nine or twelve outs with guys that can't start, guys that are specialists for like one inning. And if they if you keep using them and this is the whole breakdown, you use them five days in a row, the third, fourth, fifth day, they're not as good. So when you keep depending on these guys to keep running them out, there, running them out there. One hanging breaking ball like last night tied the ball game for the Red Sox, you know, and and that's the kind of stuff you have to start thinking about with your analytics department is how much are we using the seventh guy out of the bullpen? And how many times are we pulling out Jacob Degrom or our number two or our number three guy, and it cost us the game? That I'd like you to factor that stuff in because that's that's really the difference between making the postseason and not. Is I and, and I'm not a big like individual guy, so I'm not. Even, let's forget Degrom's 20 wins. How many team wins do you have? Like this, is where I look at a side young guy record man, when
1: he starts.
0: You know, a guy, a guy who on the road and, and out of his 14 starts, the team won 10 of those starts because okay. he was in there Watch for 21 out. That's what I, that's what I talk about. That's the Cy Young winner. You know, that's he's, totally he's either. 10 and two on the road. He's 12 and four at home. Um, And there's, and that team had 26 team wins in his 34 starts. That that's what I really look at when I'm talking about a Cy Young. Yeah. The ERA is great and his individual wins, but team wins to me now, Mike is, is more important then the actual individual wins.
1: I also don't have a big problem if you're taking Jacob DeGrom out of a game in the sixth inning or seventh inning and there's runners on first and second and you're bringing in your, your either your closer or your – like what you were have yes. right? Like you said right. earlier, that's what your role was with the Reds. Bring in a hard-throwing guy who can get strikeouts, especially in this day and age. That's what you're paid to do. Uh, if you're a reliever, get strikeouts, get out of a jam, I don't have as much of a problem with that, but you should not be saying, okay, we don't want Jacob deGrom to see the order a third time through, which I think is a freaking ridiculous argument to begin with, but bring him out because, oh, he's he's approaching his third time through. So what? It doesn't matter. They're not getting swings. If you're watching how the batters are responding to the pitches, that's what the manager and his pitching coach should be doing in the dugout, and I know you know that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and and to your point, the catcher and the pitcher have been studying. This is what we did. This is what I did for the 13 years I was a pro. You know what you got the guy out on the last time. You know what he's looking to try to hit off of you. You know, a reliever, if he's not paying attention during the game. Um, and this actually happened to me. I I, I was messing around one day. I didn't realize that a couple of uh, sliders by Ted Power had been hit for home runs. I go in and I hang a slider that hits a home run. And after the game, the, I actually, the pitcher goes, did you even pay attention during the game? And I'm like, I'm going to tell you, I didn't. If I had, I would have never thrown that pitch. So my point is, the Gram knows last time I got a high fastball up by your hands, struck you out. Uh, the next time I threw a fastball away, you grounded it to my shortstop. I got you out on that. If that reliever comes in in the seventh inning, Mike, and he may, might not be paying attention, and now he throws a fastball in the inner half and that guy hits a home run because you don't know how DeGrom got him out the last at bat, that's on you. That's 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 where, you know, your analytics people can't pay attention for these players. Right. And if these players, you know, that, that's I give Scherzer more credit than a reliever. Scherzer knows exactly because he's a perfectionist. You know, people always ask me, how do you remember the pitch you threw to that guy? Because that's what you do. That's what, that's what we do. We, we know exactly what we threw to each guy to get that guy out. It's like a mental book you keep. It's, it just keeps going on and on and on about everybody you face. And the catcher, if he's a really good catcher, which most of these big leaguers are, they know exactly where the guy was standing in the box, what the pitch was, what the sequence was you know? And, and so they know all those little things. Now you bring a guy in because he's a specialist at his thing and it might be a changeup. Well, this is exactly what this guy, he's got, he's got like slider bat speed, meaning he can't catch up to 95, but man, he's all over 88. You bring in a guy who throws 88, throws it away and the guy hits a home run to right center field. And everybody's like, how did that happen? That's because you brought in a guy that played into the hands of the hitter because you, you weren't paying attention to, exactly you know we have pitching meetings we used to always have pitching meetings mike we'd go in we'd be like this is how we'll all attack this guy this is how we'll all attack that guy but you all have different stuffs this was the arguments norm and i and randy would always have with the pitching coach his stuff's different than my stuff his stuff's different than my stuff so i'm gonna stay with my best stuff against that hitter to try to get him out and sometimes when you bring in a guy whose stuff matches up better to the hitter than the guy you just pulled out. I think that's just a bad choice.
1: Speaking with Rob Dibble of 97.9 ESPN in Hartford. You can follow him on Twitter at Rob Dibble 49. Hey, sports fans bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action baseball season now in full swing. And you can track all of the action at bet online, get all the latest news odds and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB NBA NHL. And of course, all of your UFC MMA action. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It's your best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up for the next pitch. Head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or, of course, your mobile device if you'd like to do it that way and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on all the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Speaking again with Rob Dibble, how did you do against Barry Bonds? I don't remember.
0: Uh, he had a couple of game-winning home runs off of me. And I think probably more, more or less I did well because of you know throwing sliders at his back foot. So um I didn't I mean to bring up battles, any bad memories. I, 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 I
1: honestly didn't remember.
0: Yeah, no, Um did very well in the postseason against Bonilla and Bond. That matter. was that was more important than the regular season. But uh yeah, no, he hit a couple of big bombs off of me during the regular season. One when he was in San Francisco and one when he was in Pittsburgh.
1: I was going to say, uh, it, he did people forget, well, maybe they don't forget it, but I forget sometimes just how different a physique he had when he came up. And even yep. when he was with the Pirates when you guys played him in 90 as opposed to later in his career.
0: Well, and he, you know, no matter what you want to say, what he did in the weight room or whatever, he built himself into a home run machine and a hitting machine. And I it, it, I marvel at his on-base percentage and the years that they walked him like 200 times a year. So factor that in, you're 650 at-bats where, you know, 200 of them are, they, they take the bat out of your hand. You know, it was just uh, about a month ago is the anniversary of when we walked Andre Dawson five times in one game. If we wanted to take the bat out of your hand, we would. And Lou wanted to do that one game. And I'll tell you what, I think the third or fourth time Andre stopped at our bench and was just like, are you serious? Are you guys not going to let me play today? And we were like, no, you've been killing us so bad. We're going to take the bat out of your hands and and see if we can beat you. So Um, bonds was amazing and he choked up Mike, two inches on the bat. He had the quickest swing through the zone. And I I think people can't appreciate that. They want to talk about, you know, maybe he, he, you know, used PEDs or whatever, but honestly, some of these guys that, you know, I remember talking to him before he got really, really big and he, he intimated to me, Mike, that I just want to steal 500 bases and hit 500 home runs. And then I think I'll walk away. And I think because of Sosa McGuire um, and where the game kind of moved to at that time, I think he just made himself into a home run hitting machine. Um, still one of the best left fielders I've ever played against. He had our guys, Mike, pegged at every at bat. Sabo, Larkin, Eric, where to play those guys, uh, depending on who was in the game pitching. And he robbed our guys of more hits, Mike, than I, I could you know tell you about so, like I said before about the Red Sox, you, you know, you can win the game with your glove, and he knew that. You can win the game with a stolen base, and he knew that. And he, and he beat so many teams with his mind, more so than his physique, um, than, than almost anybody I ever played against. So the one thing I always respected about Barry um, was that he came to play every day, and, and that meant I'm going to play great defense, I'm going to play great offense, meaning running the bases. And then if I if I get one shot at a home run to to go ahead and help the team win that way, I'm gonna do that. So by the end of his career, that guy was like you know a, a machine, like like a robot built to play baseball. So yeah, I mean we could bad mouth them all day on the other stuff, but you know to me, a guy that really gave his his body and soul to the game because he wanted to be the best at it, I, I can't I can't fault him for that.
1: Here's what m- makes him one of the greatest hitters in my mind that I've ever seen. He just wouldn't swing at bad pitches. And it, there was no. a, there was a pitch that he was looking for in a specific area of the strike zone. Yep. If it was there, he was uh loaded to swing. If it wasn't, nope, I'm not swinging. And and he stuck to that his whole career. That's what made him not only a home run hitting machine but an on-base machine. I mean he, ha- he held the record for the longest time for most walks uh, in a regular season, he was just phenomenal in terms of his discipline at the plate. The reason I bring this up, Dibs, is because of all of the debate now, the, all the rage, baseball is either a home run, walk, or strikeout. What are your thoughts right.
0: Well, I, it's just not baseball. It's, you know, it's it's individual statistics. It's, you know, I, I I do analytics with the kids that I work with because it helps them understand what they, they need to work on, what they're failing. You know, baseball is a sport built on failure. And, you know, but when you excuse a strikeout or excuse an error in the field or you use you basically say you know hit and run you know you don't use it enough to to where it's necessary in your game plan well then you're not playing baseball you know that that's 70s 80s mentality in the american league like earl weaver waiting for a three-run home run to win the game you might keep waiting if the pitcher's sticking it to you you know so, you know, to me, sometimes you have to manufacture the no-hitter. I mean, I just had Paul O'Neill on my show. I mean, last three weeks I've had, like, Brett Boone, Paul O'Neill, uh, Wade Boggs, Fred in my show. And we all talk about the same thing. It's like the strikeout's only part of it, or the home run's only part of this whole, this whole story right now. The this, this story is you, you've said that certain things that were shameful to us, meaning striking out was shameful – and you came back to the dugout and you're like, man, that, that was a brutal and unproductive at bat man on first and extra innings. And you can't get that guy to third base. That's an unproductive at bat. There should be some shame in that because of your team. It's a team sport. So, you know, it's just like not hitting the cutoff guy. That should be an embarrassment to any major leaguer. That's your job is to hit the cutoff guy or, or get a good throw to the plate guys don't want to take infield outfield anymore you you don't want to practice base running then you're actually not really a baseball player you're you're just a guy that just wants to you know do a home run derby uh for your four at bats during the game so for me it, it has to be policed within the clubhouse these players have to start shaming each other and being like dude you didn't move the base runner over with no outs and a guy on second that's a terrible at bat it's unproductive and we can't win games if you're going to keep doing that. And that that way, the guy, the next time, he doesn't want to go back to the dugout and face that. And I honestly, Mike, I don't think a lot of players have the same family feelings we used to have. I love Eric. I love Paul. I love Barry. I love Chris. I'm not going to try to fail them I, At all costs, my job is dependent on them respecting my play. So we won a championship because we all knew what we needed to do to win a game. And someday, some days that mean it meant me not pitching or, a, a, you know, Tom Browning coming out after seven, you know, sometimes you have to swallow your pride to win a game. And guys right now, that's what I think the problem is. We could talk about statistics all day. I break those down. It's awful. The strikeouts are awful. The, the swings and misses are awful, but the the, the biggest thing is the lack of shame, the lack of discipline, when when you're faced with helping your team and you don't get the job done that that I think is the biggest problem with the game today.
1: So I I live in Cincinnati now and I uh, watch Ballet Sports Ohio all the time and Barry Larkin is their primary color analyst along with uh, someone else, you know, I'm sure Chris Welsh, they both do a yes. nice job breaking down the game. Yeah. And Barry's talked about that on the air this year, about your responsibility to your fellow teammate. And I'm sure when you were there, you both had conversations about exactly that topic. That bond is just not there. And he, and he acknowledges that on the broadcast. It's yeah. just different. And what's kind of fun with watching the Reds now is, um, is Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos. And they're both having incredible years, MVP caliber years, a lot like Devers and Bogarts with the Red Sox, very similar. Um, but Castellanos, I, I don't know if you, you know, read up on him or followed him.
0: No, I'm watching him. He's doing a great job.
1: He is one hell of a leader in that clubhouse. Yep. And that that's where it really matters. I mean, of course the numbers matter, but I think, If you're going to be that next level player to get paid the big time money, I think it should be more than just the the numbers that you put up on the field. How much of a um, foundation can you be in the clubhouse? And those two guys are just having years that are remarkable. They're off the charts. Jesse Winker on Sunday just had his second uh, three-homer game of the year in two weeks. No red in history. The oldest – professional baseball team and baseball in, in America, uh, that team has never had a player with two, three Homer games in a season. That's what kind of a, no,
0: listen, those guys are some tremendous players. And like you said, you can't measure what it's like to, to, you know, Eric was like my older brother and, and he'll always be my brother and, and uh, I love him dearly. Eric was the first guy to show up at your locker after you like came in and like, say I struck out four out of five times, we got the win. And he would be like, listen, dude, you're better than that. You can do better. You know, he was always pushing you to bring your a game, bring your best game and, you know, and never be satisfied. Barry was the same way. Barry Larkin. If people don't know, he's bilingual. And, and he learned that at Michigan, he had uh, Spanish teammates and Dominican teammates. And So Barry could talk to everybody in 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 their language, and and honestly, he would he would be in your face. Paul was in your face. Uh, Ron Oster was constantly in my face. Afraid to fail,
1: you. Oh yeah,
0: and and you you know, and the so whether guys hitting two hundred or three fifty, you have to have grown men that respect other grown men in there. And Lou was just as good. Pete was just as good. Um, I, honestly, I don't think Lou Pinelli gets enough credit for Lou would walk around Mike and ask you what's going on in your personal life. I, I've, I've never really brought this up much. Um, went, went through a really tough divorce and, and my first marriage was very volatile. And, it, you know, a lot of it was was during my career. And Lou knew just by the look on my face, go home and take care of your business and come back by the fifth inning. And I don't tell people that because, first of all, it's nobody's business. But second, that just was how Lou knew me personally. Lou knew exactly how he's going to get the best out of me in the seventh inning. if, If I could put my personal business aside, if I could leave all my stuff. I mean, one of my kids was born three months premature, was actually in a hospital for three months during the season. And I think I probably played the best I've ever played because I had to leave that outside the locker room and those are the things that you need the either the the people managing you meaning the coaches and or your teammates that understand that guy's having a bad day that's got that guy's having maybe marital problems or he's got something wrong with one of his kids and and some days your team Mike, have to pick you up and they and they have to console you and they have to treat you like a brother and a family member and a lot of the games have changed every 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 sport is the same way NBA um, and and the NFL, it's more of a business. Everybody's got a brand. Everybody's branding themselves right. on Instagram and, and Twitter. And and the one thing that's lacking is the love and, and respect of your teammates. And, yeah, you're going to fight because, like, my two older brothers, we beat the crap out of each other all the time because we love each other. You know? Even, okay. even to this day, my brother was over for dinner last night. We're talking about playing each other in MLB The Show – and fighting over he gets me in the video game I don't get to play with myself in the video game just so my brother can beat my butt so it, it's funny that um you know people don't realize if you don't have that family element in the clubhouse in the locker room um I don't think there's too many special moments are going to be had by your team
1: okay families our families families fight um you know where I'm going yep. with
0: this oh yeah
1: so what happened With Lou.
0: Um, you know what? Lou and I very similar personalities, Mike. And you know, that day I my arm was hanging. And I'd been pitching a lot. There wasn't much left in the season. We were in like fifth place. We weren't going to the playoffs. Back then you had to win the division to go. And 91. Lou just yep. Lou Lou asked me if I could pitch that day. And I made kind of a rude remark like, no, I might, you know, my arm's killing me. Why don't you let one of the guys, you, you know, you just called up, come in and close. And so he kind of barked at me a little bit and said, don't even dress out. So I didn't dress out. I, I stayed in the locker room all day. And, you know, it ended up we won the game. We beat the Braves. A reporter, it might have been Hal McCoy, um, asked Lou where I was. And Lou told him he was in the locker room. He, he wasn't available. You know, he's got a, he's got a bad arm, sore arm and he wasn't available and so they come to me and as it's put to me and all basically I was looking for was a day off and but Lou wanted his best players out there and that was understandable too right um and now as you have 30 years to kind of put it into perspective of that's the way you need to coach um as opposed to me being a selfish like you know 27 year old um the question put to me was like, oh yeah, Lou says you're, you know, you're not available anymore. Um, and you're hurt. And I had started the year on the disabled list by hurting my shoulder in spring training. And I was like, you know, that's, that's bullshit. You know, pardon my French, um, you know, I'll be fine tomorrow. I said, I'll be available tomorrow. You know, that's a lie. What was told to Lou as I found out after the fight was someone walked in and said, "Dibble just called you an effing liar. That's all he needed to hear. And so that's honestly not the way the conversation went, but when, when it's going back and forth between, you know, a third party, you know, so Luke, but the, the, here's the funny, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you all the details here. So Lou and I used to share cigarettes. I used to, I used to buy like a carton before homestand. I'd give him five packs and I'd keep the other five because I wasn't a heavy smoker, but I smoked when I was bored. And he's got a cigarette in one hand and like a beer in the other hand. And, and I'm thinking, this is how warped I am. Is that my cigarette? (laughs) So when he charges me and we're wrestling, you know, people are thinking, you know, you're fighting with a guy and, you know, you know, and I knew I was stronger and I'm younger than Lou. So what, you know, I got the upper hand and I'm holding him, and I'm thinking, Jesus, did he just burn me with my own cigarette? You know, that, when I look back at that, I see it differently because I was in it, but, those are the things that cracked me up the most is that it happened so quickly that, uh, you know, after the fight was over and we did more wrestling than, than fighting anyway, cause I didn't want to hurt him. And I, and another thing that popped into my head, Jesus, this is my boss. You know, my dad had always taught me don't fight with your boss or you're going to get fired. So, uh, when I'm holding him, that's basically why I was telling him to calm down, dude, calm down, you know, I don't want, I don't want to have to hurt you. And uh, that's when, you know, everybody says it. So now as I'm, I'm looking around at like, you know, all this stuff after you kind of pick yourself up and brush yourself off, you're like, oh, look at that, you know, presidential Rolex on the ground. Lou wore a presidential Rolex. So at the time I'm thinking, I'm just going to, I had cowboy boots on. I'm going to smash this Rolex. It was actually Tim Belcher's, And Belts goes, no, 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 don't smash my watch. That's my watch. So there's like so much humor involved in the whole thing that it was done the next day. So the next day, we have a meeting with Marge and we speak our piece. And then, you know, the game starts and Lou uses me in the ninth inning and I get the save. He comes out. He throws a couple of fake jabs at me and it was over. So that, you know, he he mentioned it in his book and and he wrote a book and, and he mentioned me and said really nice things because that's really the way it is. We're still friends. I still love him. He helped me win a championship in our team, um, but more importantly, he made me a better player. He always, he always made me a better player and a better person, and I, I can't thank him enough, so, you know, the the, the fight was a, a thing. It was like a, a snippet in time, but to, to think that, you know, 30 years later, it, it it can't be made into something bigger because it wasn't. Lou wanted me to be available. I wasn't um, we wrestled about it, and the next day I was available. So that's that's really how simple it comes down to.
1: I'm sure you will join me in uh, sending out thoughts and prayers to Lou and his family. Yeah. News came out that he's battling cancer. So uh, I, he's he's genu- genuinely one of the, the personalities I think the sport needs and needs more of. I think you would agree.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, no, because again, there was that love. He loved the game as a player. I watched him growing up here in Connecticut. His clutch of players will ever be, Um, you know, but when he, when he didn't produce and do what was required of him, he'd snap. And a lot of us did, you know, whether it was me or Paul or Chris Sabo, or, you know, somebody else break, Hal Moore's breaking a helmet, you know, that's, that's because we're all perfectionists deep down and nobody loved winning well, let's put it this way. We Lou and I hated losing more than we love winning. And we both really love winning. And so when that happens, man, it's it's just a it's a miserable evening. Dinner to dinner doesn't taste as good. You know, an adult beverage mm-hmm. doesn't taste as yeah, good. Yeah, no, I and remember so, him
1: saying that after yep, a game once when people are it's just
0: you know you want to eat.
1: No, and say, the beer tastes a hell of a lot better. When you win a game, and I I always remember that, and you know, he had and he had that 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 kind of, I don't want to say psycho smile, but that kind of crazed <laughs> smile, you know what I'm talking about, right, Dibs?
0: Oh yeah, you No, like, like a mad scientist.
1: He had a mad he was
0: scientist.
1: Always,
0: you know, no, I mean my my favorite things that Lou used to always do that it might have bugged the everyday player, but for us that watched him daily like Paul O'Neill or Eric were hitting he'd grab a bat and he'd get in their stance like he literally was standing at the plate with them while they're while they're challenging a pitcher and I I marveled in how he loved every facet of the game every every pitch every moment Lou Lou was involved and and not many people could say that they're that heavily involved um but that was Lou and that's why you know over the years, whether it was the Mariners or the Cubs after he left the Reds, you know, people that don't understand him don't realize that he's he was serious that I'm not gonna make excuses for these guys. I'm not that's not my job. My job is to get them prepared to play when they don't play well. Go ask them what happened. Don't ask me, I'm not playing for. But honestly, there was nobody closer to almost playing with them than Lou at at every moment.
1: Because I, I got this a lot after the game. I don't know what the hell happened. Go ask them. Yep. They're the ones who that's, made the that's play. Right. And he would raise his hand yeah. like <laughs> go ask them. I have no idea what the hell happened out there.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: That's exactly. true. But uh his I think his most famous play and you talk about the clutch, the line drive he caught in the glare off the bat of Jerry Remy in the 78 playoff game. That has to be, right? The re- one yeah. of
0: the
1: biggest plays cuz without that play, the Red Sox probably win that game. And the Yankees don't win the world series that year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, those are, those are those moments where he might've taken an O for that day or not had great at bats, but that did stop him from being prepared for the moment when a ball is hit his way and he had to play, you know, that's, that's the difference between being a good player and a great player. And that's why I put Lou in that great category because yeah, he might not have the statistics of other players, but that didn't mean that he wasn't prepared anytime he was asked to do something.
1: We touched on a lot of things here Dibs. I cannot tell you thanks enough for, you know, taking the time out and just going down memory lane, bringing uh, a lot of perspective to today's game, which I think needs a lot of work still, but it'll get there. And I still love baseball. That's the thing. People ask, do you still, absolutely love still love the game? Yeah. I mean, I I'm back in Cincinnati. I watched the Reds. I want to see, that town get re-energized again, because I think when the Reds are doing well, it's great for baseball. Just like when the Red Sox are doing well and the Yankees are doing well, it's great for baseball. I feel the same way. Anything else you want to add, Dibs?
0: Well, no, I mean, listen, I I got into coaching small, younger kids a couple of years ago when I opened up a, a business here in Connecticut, a batting cage and stuff. And we do softball too. I, you know, whether it's the the girls that come in, you know, we've got hall of fame coaches to help them. Uh, Barbara Nalda, who coached at Yale for 20 years is a fantastic pitching coach, better pitcher than I ever was. Uh, I think she had 19 perfect games um, and we're trying to teach the kids fundamentals, but mostly Mike have fun, go out and love the game. You know, I mean, and, and we've got some kids, we actually have uh, Justin Guerrero, the kid from Fairfield. That's uh in, in the College World Series playoffs right now at a Fairfield University, he had a great year. Uh, hopefully he gets drafted because he's going to be a hell of an infielder for somebody. Um, having that kid as an example in my batting cage every day, working and, and toiling on every facet of his game, that's why I'm, I'm doing this, is that I want kids to see great players like that work hard. I remember coaching um, years ago when George Springer was a double-A player. And the, the batting cages I was working out of there. And George was in there every day working on his game. They're like, ever hear of this guy? I'm like, yeah, I've heard of this guy. He's going to be a hell of a player. And now you, you see George Springer 10 years later. And uh, he, he's a hell of a big leaguer. So um, we're, we're just trying to help kids any way we can. Because I, I love the game, honestly. I, I've got 40 years experience that I, I try to offer to these guys. But the, the biggest perspective is, Mike, I loved it. I loved practicing. I I loved, even when I was throwing a tennis ball off the roof of my house or against the the chimney, um, you know, those are the things that make you a great player. Um, Not not the analytics or, yeah, I've got all the the hit tracks and I've got Rapsodo at my place and all that stuff. That's part of it. The other part is you got to have a big heart. you got to love playing the game. And I I was blessed enough to play with a lot of guys that love playing the game and still love even talking about or teaching the game.
1: So you don't worry about spin rates?
0: I do worry about spin rates when they're not strikes. <laughs> oh, right. you, you can throw a spin rate all you want if it's uh, a foot outside. But what I try to teach is if you can't control it 50% of the time for a strike, it's, it's not going to be effective for you at the next level.
1: Fair enough. And that is Smash Factory, right? RD
0: Smash, Smash Factory. Factory in Oxford, yeah
1: dot com rd smash factory.com is that
0: where yeah rob dibble smash factory yep got it
1: all right dibs this has been tremendous i really appreciate all your time you're the best
0: no problem mike take care bud
1: i want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast thank our great guest rob dibble of 97.9 espn in hartford you can follow him on twitter at rob dibble 49 want to thank our great sponsor betonline.ag This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. (laughs)